tonight we're going to continue our lesson on the Savior and the Scriptures. The, uh, the, the comparison as we go through the Word of God and how the Scripture and the Savior are so much alike as we go through the Bible. And uh, it's really been a neat study for me to go through this. Uh, but uh, Revelation, I'm going to start here in Revelation chapter 19. And we're going to be back in here a little later on as we uh, continue on with uh, going through these thoughts. And I do plan to finish this tonight, all of you naysayers out there. Uh, but uh, we'll be here till 10 o'clock, but that's okay. We'll finish it anyway. All right. Well, for Revelation chapter 19 and verse number 13, it says this, And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. This is a reference to the Lord Jesus. And his name is called the Word of God. And then in verse 14 says, And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And so here it talks about the Lord Jesus Christ being called the Word of God, and then we know, of course, the Scriptures itself are also referred to as the Word of God. And that's the, that's the first one listed here tonight. Both are known as the Word of God. And then we mentioned last time also that both are eternal, both came from heaven, both are faultless, both are sources of life, both are sources of light, both are absolute truth, both provide food for the soul, both provide cleansing, both pr produce fruit, and then uh, here we go, that's where we left off last time, and we'll pick it up here. And number 11, both give peace. Both give peace. Uh, turn over to uh, Psalm 119, if you would please. Psalm 119, and this is a, this is a wonderful verse, and uh, Seth just started college. And I remember it just brings me back to when I was in college, and this verse was quoted so many times in the dorm. <laughs> because uh, when you live with people who are not part of your family for an extended period of time, it can lead to offenses. And so this verse got used so many times when I was in Bible college. It says this, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. And uh, there were some people who were pretty easily offended there in the dorm. And uh, there, some people just aren't as clean as I am. Or some people make too much noise or they snore. I had a roommate that snored very loudly. And uh, it was inevitable when I would get up to you know, move them. And when you move them, they kind of stop. And so I would move him and he would stop. And I was like, okay, good. And I went back to bed. And as soon as I closed my eyes... It was easy to be offended um, if there wasn't a great relationship with the Word of God here, because it says, Great peace have they which love thy law. Thy law, the law of God, the Word of God, the Scriptures, bring peace when there is a good relationship between the reader and the Scriptures. So tonight, if, you're, if you would say, well, I've been pretty easily offended, and, and uh, I don't have a lot of peace in my heart and life, it could be. Uh, now, I know that it's like I'm not a medical doctor, but as a pastor, I would say if you came to me with those symptoms, I'm easily offended and I'm very anxious about what's going on in my life. 
I would say, okay, you need a healthy dose of this book right here. And uh, you need to be in this on a regular basis. In other words, uh, take a couple, not Tylenol or aspirin, uh, but, but take a couple weeks and spend a good chunk of time each day and then come and call me and see how you're feeling. See if you're still anxious about all that's going on in your life. See if you're still easily offended because really there, there, there is tremendous peace for those who do love the law of God and are in it and spending time in it. And they're a lot, it's, it's a lot harder to offend the people who are, have a close relationship with the scriptures. So um, I'm not saying that you will never uh, get offended for those who read the Bible, but it does say here, nothing shall offend them. And again, if you're just easily offended, one little wrong look or one snide comment, and it's like all of a sudden this huge offense, it could be that you need a healthy dose of the Scriptures. Both give peace. The Scriptures give peace. Does the Lord Jesus Christ give peace? Oh, yes, He does. John 14 is the reference for this, at least one of the references. Uh, John 14 and verse number 27 I hope you don't mind turning to some scriptures tonight. John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So when we have Christ in our life, we can have true peace. Remember, uh, one of his names is the Prince of Peace, right? His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Uh, because, and when we have Him, we have His peace. John 16, 13, 33 is another uh, reference that comes to mind as well. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. And He says in verse 33, In the world ye shall have tribulation. You know, sometimes... Uh, those of us who are Christians and we go through this life and we experience a trial or a tribulation, it's, we're, we're kind of like shocked. Like, wait a minute. Why are we going through this difficult time? We shouldn't have... We're, I'm, I'm a believer. I shouldn't have to... He says, in the world ye shall have tribulation, Jesus says, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And God, or, or the Lord gives us peace to help in those times when it's less than ideal. And uh, perhaps you're going through a trial even now. Um, well, I would encourage you to spend some time in the Scriptures and spend some time with your Savior because He gives us the peace that passes all understanding. So both the Scriptures and the Savior provide and give peace. Number 12, both are likened to a sword. Both are likened to a sword. In Ephesians 6.17 uh, we know that the Bible is re referenced to as the sword of the Spirit. Uh, Ephesians 6.17 says, as part of the armor of God that we are to put on each and every day, we're to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So most of the elements of the armor of God are all protective and we have here the, um, 
in, in verse number 14, Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth, having on your breast, breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, shield of faith, verse 16. But then, and then take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Here's the only offensive part of uh, the armor of God, and that is the Scriptures, the Word of God. And you think about it, when the, de- when the devil tempted Jesus in the wilderness, uh, what did he use? He used the Scriptures. He used the sword of the Spirit, which was the Word of God, to defeat the temptation that was coming at him. And so, I want to encourage you to... Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and use it. Um, it's, it's not just to know and sit in our minds. It's there to be used. Um, and so I would encourage you to use the Scriptures. Uh, another reference for this is Hebrews chapter number 4, and verse number 12. For the Word of God, the Scriptures, is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So uh, the Word of God or the Scriptures are referenced to as a sword. Was Jesus Christ referenced to as a sword? Well, I already mentioned Revelation 19, and uh, this is where he does say that. It says in verse number 15, Out of his mouth, out of Jesus' mouth, goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he, should, he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And in that passage, um, we, we find that Jesus Christ, out of his mouth, goes a sharp sword. And, and with that sword, which really is the Scriptures, I mean, there's kind of a blurring of lines here on the Lord Jesus Christ and the Scriptures. All right, so both are likened to a sword. Uh, number three, 13 here, both are called wonderful. Both are called wonderful. Psalm 119, verse 18. It says this, The Lord hath... Oh, that's the wrong chapter. Here we go. Uh, Verse number 18, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. The Word of God is not, the the Scriptures is not drudgery. It's, as Brother Terry quoted Psalm 19, More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Most of us would be pretty happy if we heard that there was some gold over, um, let's say, on 4th and Santa Fe, and it's going to be available at 8.45. You're going to be watching your clock. You say, Pastor, you better hurry up. I, wanna, I can't be late for my gold. I want a bunch of gold over on 4th and Santa Fe at 8.45, and I'm not going to be late. So you better not go too long tonight. Why? Because gold is important to us. Well, what should be more important, we should desire more than gold, is the Scriptures. And it is wonderful. It is a blessing. Um, It is wonderful. It is wondrous. Um, He says here in, um, oh, I found, okay, verse number 16. He says, I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. 
So the Word of God contains wondrous things, and it is, it is wonderful. Okay? What about, this? what about the Savior? Is He wonderful? <laughs> I mean, yes, He is, but where does it say that? Isaiah 9, 6, and we really don't even need to turn there, right? His name shall be called. The first name He's given is wonderful, isn't it? So he is wonderful, and he is amazing in his power. He's amazing in his love, and the sacrifice that he made on the cross proved all of that. Both are called wonderful. Number 14, both are called the power of God. Both are called the power of God. Well, the Bible, the Scriptures, are referenced to in Romans 1 and verse number 16. Where it says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And that's a reference to the scriptures here. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. So the scriptures are the power of God unto salvation. Okay, then we have 1 Corinthians one twenty four. And this referenced the fact that the Lord Jesus himself is the power of God. Uh, verse 23 says, But we preach Christ crucified, unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So the Lord Jesus is also the power of God as well as the Scriptures. Number 15 I love this one. Both successfully complete their assignment. You see, the Scriptures, God has a purpose for them, and the Scriptures are going to complete and finish their task. And this is found in Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55 verse number 10 says this, well, let's back up and read verse 8, because it's amazing too. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth, and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be, that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. So the scriptures are going to be successful. And uh, it's, never, it's never a waste of time to share scripture with others because it, it's powerful and it's going to accomplish what God wants it to. It's not going to fail. It's not going to be a, well, oops, I almost finished the work. No, the scriptures are powerful, and it's going to complete their assignment. Okay, how about, how about the Lord Jesus? Did he complete his assignment? Obviously, we all know yes, but let's look at the scriptures and uh, see um, how he did here. Uh, there's, there's John 17, 4, but before we go there, a couple more references I want to I look at. John 4... In verse 34, John 4 and verse 34, Jesus saith unto them, My meat 
Okay, this is when they're at the, uh, at the well and when Jesus met with the woman at the well and uh, she left her water pot and told everybody uh, who Jesus was. Disciples came back and they said, hey, we, we, it says, uh, hey, we've got some food for you. Why don't you go eat? In verse 32, I have meat to eat that you know not of. And therefore said the disciples one another, hath any man brought him out to eat? Like while we were gone, did somebody else bring him a, an extra value meal? I mean, how, what, what happened? And then Jesus answers the question, verse 34, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. So he said, I'm not all about the physical, temporary food here. I'm all about the eternal work that my Father has given me to do, and I'm going to finish it. And finish what you start. Well, Jesus did that. At least that's what he said he was going to do. What, what happened? Well, let's look at the next chapter, chapter 5 and verse number uh, 36. He says, talking about the different witnesses that uh, the testimonies and the witnesses of Christ. Verse 36, I have a greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. So the Father has given him some uh, tasks to accomplish and to finish. And Jesus said, that's why I'm here. And those works that he gave them to finish were testifying of him. Okay, now over to John 17. John 17, verse number 4. As he is in the upper room, maybe not in the upper room, but right before he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and uh, prays, not my will but thine be done, before he goes to the cross, before he's crucified, he has this high priestly prayer in John 17. In verse number 4 he says, I have glorified thee on the earth. And notice this, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. He said... It's done. I, I've done it all. All the things that you set out for me to do, I've done them. Well, I suppose, except for one more. And that's in John chapter 19. As Jesus is crucified on the cross, the last thing that he says before he bows his head and gives up the ghost is found in verse number 30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said... It is finished. He completed the work that his father gave him to do. And as I was thinking about this, I was like, I was thinking there, there's somebody else in the Bible who wanted to finish the work that they were given to do. His name was the Apostle Paul. And in Acts chapter number 20, I'm going to see if I can't get over there real quick. Acts 20, verse 24. He said, None of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul understood that, okay, the Scriptures, they have tasks. Uh, the Scriptures have something to accomplish, and they're going to accomplish it. The Lord Jesus had uh, a mission to accomplish, and he finished his work. Paul realized that he himself 
had a mission for himself that God gave him to do. And he said, I want to finish it. And none of these things are going to move me. I'm not going to get sidetracked. I'm not going to get distracted. I'm going to finish my course with joy. I don't want to finish it as a sourpuss, you know, a cranky old guy, you know, oh, get off my lawn, kids. He didn't want to be like that. He wanted to finish his course with joy and the ministry uh, that he, was, he received of the Lord. Okay, did Paul finish his course? Well, we know he did in 2 Timothy chapter number 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 6, he says, I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. And he says, I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. Okay, that was the Apostle Paul. What about us? Does God have something for each and every one of us to accomplish and to fulfill? A mission for us to accomplish? A purpose for our lives? Something for us to um, complete? Assignments for us to complete? I would say absolutely God has given each and every one of us some biblical marching orders, but then also individual a unique to us, a plan for our life, are we going to be like the Scriptures, the Savior, and even the Apostle Paul, who was, you know, it's easy to say, well, okay, the Scriptures, it's that, those are the divine words of God. Of course, they're going to accomplish what, they, uh, what God sent for them to do. And, and the Savior, of course, He's going to accomplish. He's divine. He's God. He's not going to fail. The Apostle Paul, he could have failed, but he didn't. He stayed with it. And I want to encourage all of us to follow the example of the Apostle Paul and finish the course that God has given us to run and uh, to continue. That's the theme for us here at Cornerstone this year, to continue and to not quit, to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Both successfully completed their assignments. And I hope that you will join uh, that as well, and that you will be faithful to the ministry that God has given to you. All right, number 15, both successfully complete their assignments. Number 16, both must be received if one is to be saved. If you're going to be saved, you've got to receive the Scriptures, and you also have to receive the Savior. James chapter number 1. It says this in verse 21, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. We need to receive the Scriptures. Another reference on this is Romans 10, 17, which says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So we need the Scriptures and we need to receive the Scriptures and have an understanding of them. We may not have a perfect understanding of all of them, but we do need to uh, understand the Scriptures enough to realize our condition, realize the, the, the fact that God sent His Son to uh, take our place and, and to be our substitute on the cross of Calvary, and that we need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We get that from the Scriptures. All right, so... And then also, I'm think, I think of 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 15. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, 
which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. So we need to receive the scriptures in order to be saved, but then, of course, we also need to receive the Lord Jesus Christ if we're going to be saved. John 1 and verse number 12. Verse number 11 tells us, uh, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But then verse 12 says, But as many as received Him, to those who did receive Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. So those who do receive the Lord Jesus Christ can be saved, but you must receive Him if you're going to be saved. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Uh, but according to His mercy, He has saved us. John 3 and verse uh, 33 simply says this, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So you must receive the Savior if you're going to have salvation. Both must be received if one is to be saved. Number 17, next one here is, Both have been re rejected by sinful men. Both have been rejected by sinful men. The Scriptures were rejected, but also the Savior was rejected by sinful men. Mark 7 and verse number 9, if you might recall this, in our series in Mark, several, maybe months ago now, uh, Mark 7 and verse number 9 says this, Full well, he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. He said, you, you don't want to do what God's word says. You have rejected God's word. So sinful men have rejected the word of God, but also they have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 53, verse number 3, uh, pro prophetical chapter here regarding our Messiah. It says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. We, he was rejected by sinful men. And then we learned in John chapter 1, I already mentioned the reference a moment ago, he came into his own, and his own received him not. They completely rejected him, his own family. How sad. How sad. And in Mark chapter 12, we looked at last Sunday, uh, the message entitled Rejected, if you remember that. And uh, we saw how the nation of Israel rejected all these prophets that came and tried to bring about revival. But then ultimately they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ as God showed His love in sending His well-beloved Son to this nation. So both have been rejected by sinful men. Number eight, both have been subjected to attacks by sinful men. Both have been subjected to attacks by sinful men. Jeremiah chapter 36. Go ahead and turn over there if you would, please. I'll show you this a little passage here. Jeremiah 36. I'm actually going to uh, start in verse number 20. It says this, And they went into the king, into the court. But they laid up the roll. The roll is the scriptures, the law. 
in the chamber of Elishama, the scribe, and told all the words in the ears of the king. So the king sent Jehudai to uh, fetch the roll, and he took it out of Elishama, the scribe's chamber. And Jehudai read it in the ears of the king and in the ears of the princes which stood beside the king. Now the king sat in the winter house in the ninth month, and there was a fire on the hearth burning before him. When it came to pass that when Jehudai had read the three or four leaves of this roll, he cut it with the penknife and cast it, this is the scriptures, into the fire that was on the hearth, until all the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. So he burned the Bible. Yet they were not afraid, nor rent their clothes or their garments, neither the king nor any of his servants that heard all these words. Nevertheless, Elnathan and uh, Del... Not, I keep wanting, whenever I read this name, I always want to say Delilah. It's Delia uh, something. Del, we're going to call him. And Jemariah, and made intercession to the king that would not burn the roll, but he would not hear them. They tried to say, don't burn the, those are the scriptures. Those are the words of God. Don't, don't burn them. But he would not hear them. But the king commanded Jeremiah, the son of Hamalek, and Sariah, the son of Azrael, and Shalemiah, uh, <laughs> the son of Abdeel, to take Barak the scribe and Jeremiah the prophet, but the Lord hid them. Verse 27, And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after that the king had burned the roll, and the words which Barak wrote at the mouth of Jeremiah, saying, Here's what God told Jeremiah to do. Take thee again another roll, and write it in all the former words that were in the first roll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, hath burned. So Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, burned the scriptures and completely attacked the word of God. Of course, He's not the only one who has attacked the scriptures in history. Uh, since in, in, in recent days, there's been an attack on the scriptures. I mean, even in America, when we took the Bible out of the public school. I mean, that's, that's not good. Um, the scriptures are essential for our growth and our spiritual well-being, and we completely removed the scriptures out of the public schools. That's, a, that's not good. So both have been a subject to attacks by sinful men. The scriptures were, and of course, we know that Jesus was also attacked by sinful men. And if you turn to John chapter number 10, this is just kind of a little, a little verse here. Not very many words, but just goes to show you the attacks that the Lord Jesus went through. As Jesus teaches on eternal security, in verse 25, I told you and believe not the works that I do in my Father's name, there bear witness of me, but you believe not because you are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So, tremendous truth on the deity of Jesus Christ and eternal security. 
Well, how did the, how, what was the reaction to that? How did the Jews react to that? Verse 31, then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Like, this wasn't the first time. And they wanted to kill him. And we're learning in Mark, as he's getting closer and closer to the cross, there is just wave after wave of attacks against the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and then it will lead to physical attack at the end of, right before he's crucified. I just want to read a couple uh, verses here in John chapter 19. John 19, 1, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. When you really kind of stop and realize the scourging, <laughs> that type of torture that Jesus endured at the hands of sinful men, this is, this is the one who created them. And the one who is about to die for them, who had no sin in his life at all. And Pilate said, well, why don't you go ahead and scourge him? Maybe that will appease the crowd and they'll stop yelling for his crucifixion. But that only made him more bloody and the crowd didn't stop in their desire for him to be crucified. Pilate, Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And, and just a reminder of what scourging is, again, it's when they take that cat of nine tails, which is like a leather handle with nine different leather straps attached to that handle. And then on each of those straps is a sometimes knotted throughout the, throughout the strap, but at the very end, there's usually a sharp object tied to the end of that, like a bone or a rock or a piece of, um, piece of glass or something along those lines. And they would take that and then they would, they would hang usually from the ceiling by their, by their hands like this tied to a ceiling so that their, their back is stretched really tight. And then they would take that and they would whip it around the torso of the prisoner, Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory in this case. And those straps would come out around and, and, and bite into his flesh. And they didn't just kind of go, well, let me remove that. I'm sorry that. No. They would rip his flesh apart. And the, and the Bible says in Isaiah... By his stripes, we are healed. Those were the stripes that Isaiah was referring to when Jesus was scourged. And they were doing this as an attack on the Lord Jesus Christ. Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. Then they put a, a soldier's plaited a, a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe out of complete mockery. This crown of thorns was not little weak sauce rosebush thorns that maybe you have in your garden. Uh, these were long, long, sharp as needles, uh, thorns there. And uh, they took that and put it in his, on his head, and then they actually, in another place, talks about how they beat it down with a reed, which is like a branch, and driving those thorns deep into his scalp. And they were doing this out of complete mockery. Verse 3, Hail, King of the Jews. There was a complete sarcastic 
tone and all of that, and they smote him with their hands. Another place it says that um, as they hit him with their hands, and they blindfolded him, and they said, hey, prophesy, you're supposed to be God. You're supposed to know all things. Just tell us who hit you. Mocked him and attacked by sinful men. So the scriptures and the Savior both have been subject to attacks by sinful men. And then number 19, last one. Both will eventually judge all sinful men. The scriptures will judge all men, and the Savior will judge all men one day. Romans chapter 2 and Romans chapter 3, just a couple references in, in this little section. Romans 2. Verse number 12 says, For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. So the scriptures are going to act as a judge, and we're going to be judged according to the law of God. Then chapter 3 and verse 19. Now we know that whatso things soever the law saith... And saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. See, the scriptures tell us that we're going to be judged by the scriptures. But then the Lord Jesus himself is going to judge all men. John chapter 5, verse 22. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. And let's read about that judgment. It's not a very pleasant thing to think about, but it's good for us to remember. Revelation chapter 20. Jesus Christ is going to judge every man. Every man. We are all going to be judged by the Lord Jesus Christ at one of two places. Either the judgment seat of Christ, which will take place during the tribulation period, during those seven years, when we're raptured out of here, we're going to be standing before the Lord Jesus Christ and giving account for our life. Those who are not saved and choose to reject the Lord Jesus Christ are going to stand before Him at a different judgment. And this is after the millennial reign of Christ. This is after a little season goes by after that when the devil comes and tries to uh, overthrow the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's what's called the great white throne judgment. And it's found in Revelation 20 and verse number 11. It says, And I saw a great, great white throne, and him that sat on it. Who is the him that sat on it? King David, the Apostle Paul, how about Peter? And nope, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Verse 12, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. 
And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, the death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. Death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. And uh, Jesus prophesied of that day. He said, in that day, many are going to say unto me, uh, Lord, Lord, have we not done all these wonderful things in your name? Weren't we so involved in church? Didn't we do so many nice things for people? And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. So I guess the question is tonight, which judgment do you want to be a part of? The judgment seat of Christ or the great white throne judgment? The judgment seat of Christ, I guarantee in my own life, there's going to be some regret. Some things that I could have done differently for the Lord's sake with the right motive. I know there's going to be some regret, but at least I'm going to still be in heaven. I'm still going to have eternal life with God. And you compare that with the great white throne. Those who stand there, no matter how great they are, I saw the dead, small and great. There's going to be some great men who did great mighty things here on this earth. Maybe were very wonderful in giving us technology and inventions and all kinds of great community stuff. But they're going to be judged according to their works and be cast into the lake of fire. Friend, as I look across this room tonight, I don't want anybody in this room to be cast into the lake of fire. So if you're here and you haven't been saved, I would encourage you to receive the scriptures and to receive the Savior. Because you must receive both if you're going to be saved. And then, for those of us who have been saved, look, God's given all of us a mission to accomplish, a purpose for our life. A ministry for you to fulfill. Say, well, no, no, I'm not in the ministry. I just have a secular job and I just go to church here. No, 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 my friend. I mean, I get what you're saying, but that's, that's not biblical. The biblical truth is all of us have given, been given a ministry, and it's called the ministry of reconciliation. You and I have all been given the ministry to go and reach this world with the gospel of Christ, and we've been commanded to do so. So let's complete our assignments like the scriptures do, like the Savior did, and like even the Apostle Paul did. Let's say like the Apostle Paul at the end of our life. I, mean, I wasn't perfect, but boy, I finished, I finished my course. I've kept the faith. I've run the race. Um, I want to encourage all of us to be faithful in that way. And so with that, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and uh, we'll take some prayer requests to end the service. Lord, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you for this little Bible study on the Scriptures and the Savior and how they are so much alike. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to take home tonight some 
some decisions, a decision, Lord, to complete the to complete the assignments that you've given to us. Lord, you know, we know that you've given us the assignment to preach the gospel to every creature. Help us to be faithful to complete that assignment.